Luke chapter 2, I want to talk to you about Advent, angles of Advent. We're going to look at three different angles, three different snapshots of this thing called Advent. And if, Advent is a, is a word that comes from a Latin root, which means the coming or to come. It's where we recognize when God first came to earth through Jesus. And I, I, I know sometimes if your world is like mine, sometimes it, it can, you can lose a lot of the meaning during the holiday season because of so much going on. How many of you have a lot of things happening in your life right now? Yes, December gets to be so busy. Um, and sometimes the culture, you know, our current society, it, it takes this beautiful message and it really commercializes it. And there's so much pressure. Um, you know, Christmas sometimes can unnecessarily apply pressure to our life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen those, those commercials on TV where, you know, the dad wakes up on Christmas morning and he's all trim and fit and looking buff and he's wearing these flannel pajamas and it's just like to perfection. He's holding his morning coffee as he's smiling over the living room there. His family is all kind of nestled in and, you know, this beautiful supermodel of a wife comes out. Yeah, and she, she doesn't have bedhead. I mean, every hair is in place, makeup just right. And then she's looking at the children as they're all playing nicely with their toys. All the kids are just thrilled with what they have. They're not complaining about anything. They're not fighting. Oh, and then the husband just kind of so nonchalantly walks over to the front window and he pulls back the curtain and there the wife sees a Mercedes in the driveway <laughs> with a bow there. And then they just kind of embrace and you're like, that ain't my life. <laughs> Come on, can I have a good Amen. Sometimes we, the holidays are so commercialized or, or there's this pressure to have, you know, you got to have the, the best decorations on your house. You got to have the biggest tree with the brightest lights and you got to outdo your neighbor. Come on. How many of you have like some Chevy Chase neighbors, you know, the Griswold Christmas that they just go over the top and you're thinking, yeah, ditto. Okay. That's I'll take credit for that. Or the presents have to be bigger. They have to be better. They have to be shinier. They have to be the most expensive, state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line, the latest, greatest. When the truth is, do you have kids that sometimes play with the box more than the stuff on the inside? Can I, can I confess something? I know Johnny's not here, but uh, Johnny, baby, blue eyes, green. Uh, he was over at the house yesterday. No, Friday, I think it was. And Rachel and I had this big old box that's been in our garage for months, and we've been trying to, trying to throw it away, get rid of it. Johnny came by with a truck. I'm like, Johnny, can you throw this in the back of your truck and take it somewhere, burn it, or throw it in the dumpster somewhere? He's like, can I bring that to my house? And uh, so he showed us pictures yesterday of his boys playing in this fort. They've turned it into a fort. They've taped it up, and they've got blankets in it. And all. Man, they're just loving the box. Or sometimes, you know, with Pinterest or with social media, there's this pressure to be perfect. I mean, the meal that's served has to be Instagram-worthy. It's got to be homemade, all-natural, non-GMO, gluten-free, farm-to-table, and tasting great. Can I have a good amen? We're going to take a picture of it and show everybody. Or what about, what about the family photo, the family Christmas pic? Somebody say, oh, no. 
the dreaded Christmas picture. And if you have small children, you know what a tall task this can be. And over the years, I begin to notice a certain pattern. Now, not so much because our kids are older, but back in the day when they were young, there were certain stages you had to go through and the, as it relates to the family photo. And the first stage is naive optimism. And it's just kind of like, hey, kids, this is going to be so much fun. And it's very short-lived. How many of that stage is very, very short-lived? This naive, isn't this going to be great? We're all going to get together and we're going to wear these tacky sweaters and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be perfect. And it kind of moves from naive optimism to like, you know, bribery. Now listen, if you smile real good, you get that pretty smile, we'll all go to the mall afterwards and go to the cookie company. We'll get you a chocolate and that stage is even shorter than the first. So it goes from naive optimism to bribery, and then it kind of ends, the final stage is just threats. <laughs> oh, you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. If you ever want to see that teddy bear ever again, you're going to smile really nice. And so to, to have the perfect meal or the perfect family photo or the, the perfect gift. How many of you, when it comes to the family gathering, you got some drama that you're already preparing for? Oh, yes. You have to prepare yourself mentally and emotionally because you've got family members that <laughs> you may not even like, but you're forced to hang out with. You know, you got in-laws, you got outlaws, you got some that are bold-faced heathen, you got some that are saved, but they're just mean. Come on, somebody, how many know what I'm talking about? <sighs> you travel from party to party, and you got, you're splitting time, and you're trying to figure out the schedule, and all of these things, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can miss three significant things. We can miss the, the, the meaning, we can miss the message, and we can miss the miracle of Christmas. Don't, and this is what I felt, and, and really, this message is not for you. What I'm about to preach to you is just the internal, private conversation I've had with the Lord over the last couple weeks because I really felt challenged not to miss the meaning of Christmas, the message of Christmas, or the miracle. All of that stuff could get crowded out with the pressures and the commercialism and all the drama. And I thought it would probably be a good exercise for us to go to Luke chapter 2. Somewhere this, over the next eight days... You need to sit down with your family and you need to read a few verses out of Luke chapter 2 before you open a single present, before you play with a single gift, or, or before you have that family meal. It would be great to read Luke chapter 2. Watch this, starting with verse 8. Starting with verse 8. The Bible says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. I love the suddenlies in the Bible. I just love it. I think God has a suddenly for some of you. Just through faithfulness and perseverance and patience, but then all of a sudden, pow, God shows up. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I love that phrase. And I knew, if you'll notice throughout biblical history, anytime you see an angel of the Lord appearing before men, you'll find this phrase following often. Don't be afraid. He gives, listen, you don't have to be afraid of the presence of God. Now, now the fear of the Lord is different than being afraid of God. God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. Have a respect and a reverence, but don't be afraid. 
The angel of the Lord tells them, don't be afraid, he said, for I bring you good news. Somebody say good news. That will bring great joy. Somebody say great joy. To all people. Say all people. Now, I wish we could just stop right there and preach a sermon. That's good right there. Good news. Can I tell you, we are ambassadors of the greatest news this world has ever heard. Isn't it interesting how bad news is so prevalent? You know, have you ever heard the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads? You know, it leads in the headlines. It leads in the newspapers. It leads in the, you know, the story columns. And it's almost like everything we read and hear and see, it's bad news. But God says, I'm bringing you good news. That, that's important. And I think we ought, to, we ought to broadcast good news more. The, the sad truth is bad news travels so fast, it already circles the globe before good news has a chance to tie its shoes and get out the door. But yet you and I are recipients of the greatest news this world has ever heard. He says, I'm bringing you good news that will produce great joy. Somebody say great joy. You know, when you have good news, you want to share it. Can I have a good amen? How many married folk do we have? Man, when you got engaged, when you put a ring on her finger, how many of you wanted her to show that thing off? Man, when I, get, when I got engaged to Rachel, that was a good day. That was good news. I'd be a little concerned if she was afraid to talk to people about what had just happened. Wait a second. No, no, no. I love you, girl. You got that diamond on your finger. Man, we're going on a honeymoon. Man, if she's not broadcasting good news, man, cancel the honeymoon. Not going to the sandals. Go to Port Island, Motel 6. I don't know. Uh, I, didn't, I don't even know why I'm saying that, babe. I have no idea. I had a little eggnog in between services. I'm teasing. Good news is meant to be shared. Can I have a good amen? If your kids bring home an A on, on, on the report card, they're excited about that. They want to tell it. Listen, we ought to be talking about the good news. But sometimes we don't appreciate good news because we don't understand how bad the bad news really is. The bad news is when we were born into this world, we were born into sin. The bad news is you and I have a sin nature. We're not good people who occasionally do bad things. We are bad people who sometimes do good things. And unless the Lord would come and redeem us, we are destined to an eternity apart from Christ. That's bad news. But the good news is for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That good news produces great joy for all people. Mm, 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 mm. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. Here's how you're going to know it. I'm making this announcement. I'm telling you what's about to happen. But here's what will confirm that you have the right person. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, let me stop right there. This is what I love about our God. There's no other God and no other religion on the face of the earth that does what our God does. Think about this. The God creator of the universe, how does he come to this earth through the innocence and through the vulnerability of a child. Who does that? I mean, to me, how in the, that makes no sense. Are you kidding me? God, you're so huge and so powerful and almighty, but yet you would wrap yourself up in flesh. You would humble yourself and come to this earth in the expression of a child. Hear me, church. 
God couldn't make himself any bigger to impress us, so he made himself smaller to attract us. He made himself so small so that we would draw near. When somebody brings in a fresh newborn baby, what do you want to do? You want to look at that child. You want to get all up in its face. You want to just pinch its cheeks. You want to hold that baby. And here heaven comes to earth and draws. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. Heaven comes to earth not to impress us but to attract us. And here is this little child born in a Bethlehem manger, and he's wrapped in strips of cloth. The Bible says in verse 13, suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. There's that word again. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. So now we go from one angel giving an announcement to the shepherds, and here is this heavenly host. And what they're saying is this, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth to, the, to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. We've got to see this thing that, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so they hustled. They hurried. I'm telling you, when you get that kind of revelation, you're not just saved and sitting on it. Come on, somebody. You moving, man. We got to go see. We got to go be a part of this. There's something about good news that will motivate you and move you forward. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? All who heard the shepherd's story, and that word astonished in the Greek, it means to be amazed. They were awestruck. If I can put it in modern terms, it was lose your mind kind of stuff. They were blown away. And when I read that passage again this week, and I prayed for my heart, and I prayed for this church. I said, Lord, may we always be awestruck. May we always hold in wonder the miracle, the meaning, and the message of Christmas. Let's don't let outside pressures or commercialism or inside drama or all the things that culture would uh, try to attach to this. Let's stay in awe. How many of you want that? I don't want to just blaze past the next week and a half and just get through it. You know, God forbid we try to survive the holidays. Man, God gave us the holidays to enjoy. So I said, Lord, how, how do we stay in awe and wonder of Christmas? Well, the next three verses give us three specific things. And I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down three different angles, three different perspectives, so we can maintain the awe and the wonder of Christmas. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The first perspective, I want to pause, and I want us to look at this through the lens of Mary. The Bible says she pondered these things in her heart. She treasured them in her heart. All of these announcements, all of this, uh, you know, the, the, the hustle and all, her world was totally transformed in just a matter of months. But the Bible says she treasured them, she pondered them in her heart. The first thing I, I want you to write down is this. Number one, we need to slow down. We need to slow down. If you're going to ponder, it's going to require you to pump the brakes. 
If you're really going to extract the meaning and the miracle of Christmas this year, you cannot do it running 90 miles an hour. Can I have a good amen? I think this is so important because we live in an age, we suffer from a condition that I call hurry sickness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's always hurry, hurry, hurry. And it's an epidemic, and it just bleeds throughout all of our culture. Have you noticed that? How many of you suffer from a touch of hurry sickness? Okay, some of you are not being honest in church. Let me give you a little diagnostic test to see if, if you actually have some, some symptoms of hurry sickness. If you've ever been at, let's say, Walmart. Let's say you're, you're going through Walmart, and I love Walmart. I love it. I love going to Walmart because I see all of you at Walmart. Rachel sent me with a list of about four or five things. It takes me three hours. She's like, where's my stuff? I'm like, well, baby, I just have a little pastoral visit in Walmart and Prairieville. Come on, somebody. I love it. Let's say you're in Walmart and you got a, 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 a shopping cart full of stuff and you're trying to get out the store, but you've got to choose which checkout line to go through. If you've ever looked at the number of people in the line and you've multiplied that by the number of items they have in their shopping cart, you might suffer from a little hurry sickness. Am I talking to anybody? Oh, yes, you do. You're checking. You're making sure that if you're in the speedy checkout, if it's 20 items or less, how many of you, it bothers you if you count 21 items in the cart of the person ahead of you? Okay, now you have a real bad case of hurry sickness if you choose a checkout line, but then you look at the one that you had considered before, and you're placing yourself the person who would have been you, and inside there's a little mental race. And if they get through the line before you do, you feel like you've lost. Come on, somebody. I knew I was talking to the right people. Yes, you do suffer from hurry sickness. Okay, maybe that didn't apply to some of you. Let's just say you're driving down the road and you approach an intersection. Two lanes going the same direction. Man, aren't you glad Pastor just keeps it real? Two lanes going the same direction. Okay, the light is red. You're approaching it. You're going to have to stop, but you're choosing a lane. If you've ever made a decision which lane to get into based on the make and the model of the car in front of you, Come on now, are you with me? See, listen, this stuff bleeds into every area of our life. Okay, if you've ever been on the interstate and traffic is backed up, you say, Mike, you're really good. I know, because I suffer. <laughs> this is me. This is my life. I'm just, I'm just sharing with you my own issues. If you've ever been backed up on the interstate, and you just, I mean, cars are just lying, traffic is bad. If you've ever exited the interstate, and then gone through that intersection and got back up on the interstate. Now, don't raise your hand on this one because that's illegal. But some of you have done that, and you know it's the need for speed. And here's the thing. Hear me, church. If the devil can't stop you from celebrating Christmas, he will get your life so accelerated that you'll blow right by it and miss the meaning of it. Are you with me? Mary had to ponder these things in our heart. You see, I'm convinced that love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Can't do it. You cannot love somebody in a hurry. Are you with me? Come on. You cannot listen in a hurry. Okay, babe, I just want to show value to you. I love you. Tell me about your day. Okay, hurry, hurry, hurry. Tell me about your day. How many know she's not feeling the love? 
you got to press pause. You've got to lean in. You've got to listen. And after she shares all of the details of her day, fellas, you got to say, well, now, how did that make you feel? (sighs) And if there is a problem, don't try to solve it. Come on now. She's not needing a solution. She just wants you to listen. Come on, ladies. I'm trying to help you. Fellas. Pump the brakes and slow down. You're going to have 10 days, and some of you have a a lot of stuff left on your gifts to buy and places to go and parties to attend. You've got to slow down because life gets blurry when you constantly live in a hurry. You miss things. You don't see things. If you're running so fast, you, you, you miss the most important stuff. I recently read about a a group of researchers who were doing a study, and they asked this question, if you had three weeks to live, what would you do? If you had three weeks to live, what would you do? And some of you are thinking right now, if I had 21 days, what would those 21 days look like? Well, the first guy said, I would sell everything I have. I would travel and see the world. 21 days, he wants to see the world, sell it all, travel and see it. The second guy said, I would sell all that I have, I would give it to the poor, and then I would use my talents and abilities to serve others. Pretty awesome. Guy number three said this, I would sell all that I have, I would buy a sports car, and I would travel the country with my mother-in-law. And so the researchers thought that was interesting. Okay, we understand selling your stuff and getting a sports car and traveling, but what's the deal with traveling with your mother-in-law? He told them this, you said I only have three weeks to live. That would be the longest three weeks of my life. Come on now. Hey, I love my mother-in-law. Just for the record, I love her. Mama-in-law, if you are here, I love you. Let's travel together. What's he saying? There's got to be a way to slow some things down. And some of you are going to have to learn to say no. Hear me. Boy, I'm, I'm telling you, I sense by the Spirit of God I'm speaking into somebody's soul right now. Some of you have said yes to so many things. Here's where you are. You are overcommitted and you are undersatisfied. You're doing more, but you're experiencing less. Your to-do list is growing, but your heart is shrinking. Does this make sense? Mary pondered these things in her heart. You're going to have to slow down so you can extract the most important meaning of this Christmas season. Take a moment and listen to good worship music. Read the story. Say no to some things from the office. You don't have to be a part of everything. You're going to need to ruthlessly eliminate things in your life. You're going to have to disappoint some people. You're going to have to say no to some good things. So you can say yes to the best things. Mary, she pondered. It means to keep safe, to keep close together. It required her to slow down. Sometimes my life is moving so quickly. Speed is accelerating, but I find that my soul is diminishing. Sometimes you can move so fast. I mean, in your your career and your achievements and all these things that you've always wanted to do, but you find that your, your heart is beginning to shrink. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? Mm. The lens of Mary, the mother of Jesus, it's all about slowing down. Now, look at what it says in verse 20. The shepherds, they went back to their flocks. And what were they doing? 
They were glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. So here's the shepherd's perspective. If Mary's uh, uh, view is slowing down, the shepherd's view is all about looking up. It's all about looking up. The Bible says they were praising and glorifying God. Here's the lesson from the shepherds. You got to look up. You got to set your eyes on things that are above. You see, when you're looking in the wrong places, then you'll end up in the wrong places. If you're looking for value and meaning in the wrong things, you're going to end up with disappointment. But uh, here's what I felt God say. Okay, pump the brakes, slow down. Now set your eyes on me. The shepherds were praising God. They were glorifying God. There was a connection from heaven to earth. Too many times we look vertically. Uh, we, we look horizontally. When God's trying to get our attention, he's saying, hey, look to me. Look to me. Set your eyes on the Lord. You know, when I read this again, it made me think about, you know, the birth of this child. And, and some of you have seen this. Have you seen, uh, especially a lot on social media, and maybe some of your friends, you've been a part of this, or maybe you, you've actually done it yourself, this gender reveal? Have you seen that? I mean, and, and they didn't have that, you know, 20 years ago. Gender reveal is a big big deal these days. I mean, there's all kinds of creative ways to, to make an announcement, whether it's a boy or a girl. I mean, I've seen stuff on Instagram like, you know, they got these balloons and you throw darts at these balloons and the paint that comes out is either pink or it's blue, you know, and then they, they throw the dart, pa, it's blue. Ah! <laughs> I can't believe it. It's great. It's great. Or they have like these cannons that, you know, you light a cannon and it shoots out powder and it's either pink or blue or, or somebody, I guess, I think they played baseball. And so they took like a, a, like a softball pitch and, and the guy swung and hit it and it was like this blue powder or pink powder and everybody cries and goes crazy. I've even seen like a, like a pinata where they're swinging at this pinata and all the candy that comes out is either wrapped in, in pink or blue. And, you know, it's amazing how we get excited over, you know, these gender reveals. And I thought about this reveal. I thought about when, when this child was born, look at how heaven revealed it. Now, it doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not trying to look at it through natural eyes. But if the king of the Jews, the future Messiah that had been prophesied throughout Old Testament history for thousands of years was finally going to show up, who do you think God would tell first? Don't you think he would tell like some of the religious leaders? I mean, these are the guys that should know the scriptures inside and out. They're more familiar with biblical prophecy than anyone. Tell the Pharisees. Or, or, or tell the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish Supreme Court, or tell King Herod. I mean, he's the current king of the Jews. Or, my goodness, tell Caesar Augustus. He's the Roman emperor. Tell people with power, prestige, education, wealth. Tell the insiders first. And guess what? God ignored them. It's amazing who God ignores and who God includes. Guess who he revealed this thing to? Shepherd. Now, if you know anything about the social structure 2,000 years ago, shepherds were the lowest rung. In fact, some scholars say that between prostitutes and lepers, prostitutes and lepers were at the lowest, and shepherds were just one step above them. And God says, you know what? I'm going to make an announcement to a group of shepherds. 
just out there tending their flock. The, the highest possible announcement was made to the lowest possible people. Does that not say something about the grace of God? Don't you love that about your God? Don't you love, I mean, it just totally turns this thing upside down. This kind of public reveal totally, I mean, those who should have got, the, 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 the should have recognized it and understood it, they didn't. But those who <laughs> were not even allowed or expected to, God said, I'm going to bring you in. He says, look up. They walked away praising and glorifying God. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. He says, since you then have been raised with Christ to a new life, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not things of the earth. Listen, if you're looking here, you're going to miss it. But if you look here, I promise you'll catch it. Somebody say, slow down. Say, look up. Say, move forward. Here's the last thought. The Bible says this, last verse, eight days later, verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. You see, Mary's perspective is slow down, ponder these things in your heart. The shepherd's take on this whole deal is look up, praise, and glorify God. But then this last one, and I want you to see, I'm going to try to connect these dots. But this last one is really through Joseph's perspective, the father. Because it was the father's responsibility, according to the law of Moses, to bring him in to be circumcised. And it was also the father's responsibility to name the child. This was, this was Joseph. Now consider this. Consider how this child came into to being. Mary comes to Joseph, says, hey, I got some news. I'm pregnant. Joseph's like, how's that possible? She says, well, you're not the dad. Come on now. We, we, we read this sometimes, and we read it through stained glass, but we ought to read it through reality. History tells us that these were just teenagers, too. Mary, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old. Joseph couldn't have been much older. They, they weren't even married. They were engaged. She says, I'm pregnant, and you're not the dad. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what's going on here? Who's the father? <laughs> she said, the Holy Ghost. What? You see, listen, th this was groundbreaking stuff. What are you going to do? Joseph, how are you going to handle this? Man, just put her away. Just divorce her quietly and just get away. It's kind of awkward. It's kind of weird. We don't want to embarrass her or shame her. But the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph and said, no, no, no. You have to trust me on this one. I know you don't understand. It doesn't make sense. But I'm going to ask you to move forward anyway. And so the scripture says on the eighth day. Everybody say eight. Interesting. Why would the law of Moses require you to circumcise a child on the eighth day? That was according to, to, to the Mosaic law. You know, and I found this out last month when I, went, when I was in Israel. I think you'll find this cool. Is that when a, when a newborn baby, when a baby is born, there are certain deficiencies within that child. And one of them is vitamin K. 
And that's why sometimes babies, they have jaundice. How many heard of jaundice before? Where there's a yellow tinting of the skin or tinting of the eyes. And so it shows a lack of vitamin K. But and this is this show you how amazing God is. But when that baby begins to nurse, then its liver begins to work and it starts to produce things within that child. And on the eighth day, doctors have discovered that on the eighth day, that baby's vitamin K is at its highest level. Why is that important? Because vitamin K it helps blood to clot. It helps wounds to heal. And God commanded Moses on the, or Abraham on the eighth day, you'll circumcise that child. It's, it's amazing how God works. And so Joseph had to trust God in what he had written through the law of Moses, but he had to trust God in what he had said through the angel. And you'll, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I can't name this child what I want to name him? Because the father would give a child a name from the family. It was a patriarchal deal. It's somewhere in that family line. There's a name that's important to our family, but yet the angel of the Lord had already determined his name would be called what? Jesus. Why? Because he would save his people from their sin. You know what this required Joseph to do? To move forward even when he didn't understand. And I want to encourage you. Slow down. Look up. But move forward in the things of God even when you can't figure it all out. You know, Rachel and I, this week, it's been an interesting week. We had a portion of our house flood again, the second time in seven months. Yeah, Monday night, I, I laid, I just, about, probably about 1030, I laid in bed, and Michaela comes running there, Daddy, Daddy, Mama needs you. She thinks the house is flooding. I'm like, what? So I get up out of bed, walk over, and Rachel, she's walking down the hallway. It's like slosh, slosh, slosh. Water coming up through the flooring. I'm like, oh no, where is this coming from? So we're looking at the laundry room and the hallway and a couple rooms. And so, you know, there's water everywhere. We're seeing baseboards that are starting to buckle. And oh, wow, what are we going to do? I don't know. And I just felt this pressure trying to come on us. Come on, can I, can I talk where we live? I felt this pressure. I'm like, man, this is the second time. It happened seven months ago, a week before Easter. And now here we got like 10 days before Christmas. And then we got water. So I'm making some phone calls and we're having to rip up flooring and baseboards and drill holes in sheetrock and dehumidify and, you know, try to get it figured out. We still haven't figured out where the water's coming from. But I just, I told Rachel, I said, you know, listen, the Bible says in James 1, count it all joy. Now listen, I can't just preach that on a Sunday and not live it on a Monday. It's easy for me to tell you to count it joy when my house is dry. But when I got water in my house and we can't figure out what the problem is, I say, Lord, okay, there's got to be a reason. I'm gonna count this joy because I know that the trying of my faith, it's developing something in me. Lord, you're trying to perfect something in me. So I, I didn't want worry to jump on us, pressure or stress. So man, we just declared it. Okay, God, don't understand it, but we're gonna trust you through it. Well, so, you know, we called one of the plumbers to come out and look at it. And so Rachel was at the house. I wasn't there, but a group of guys were kind of working. And, you know, a plumber came by to see if he could identify what the source of the water was from. And uh, we discovered that this guy had experienced a tragedy in his family. Last month, he lost his daughter and son-in-law in a tragic shooting accident. Family out in Denham Springs. He, so he lost his, his, his son-in-law and his daughter. 
and they left four small kids. And so Rachel, when we discovered that, she was able to pray for him and minister to him. And uh, I mean, just tears coming down this guy's face. So the next day then, because they live out in Denham, we sent Ryan, our campus pastor, Ryan and Jessica, uh, leading our Denham campus that'll be open, God willing, in February. Um, sent them out to this man's home and brought gift cards because now he's trying to raise four grandkids. And Christmas is going to be different for their family this year. And I thought, Lord, okay, had we not had that leak, this man would have never come. And had he not come, we would have never known his story or had an opportunity to minister to him. So, Father, if it took water in our house to create that kind of kingdom opportunity, then let the water flow in Jesus' name. Our prayer for this family is that the presence of Jesus would be birthed in them. You see, what we know and love and celebrate, not everybody knows. Not everybody has experienced. But I'm believing as we trust God and move forward that we'll see the power of this story continually change people's lives. Amen. 